As you're seated, I would love for you to turn in your Bibles to a couple of places. I want you to turn and make sure you have 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 in front of you, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And then also, I want you to have your finger in or marked as well, Acts chapter 17. We're going to be looking at one verse in 1 Thessalonians 1 and then nine verses in Acts chapter 17. Thank you. I mean this with all sincerity. Thank you for singing those words even over me and with me this morning. My hope, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. And all other ground, all other ground is sinking sand. As I drove in this morning and I was thinking about that song, I thought that's, that's why we're gathering. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing this this morning. That's why we'll do it next Thursday and the Thursday after that. That's why we're here because our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And on his, he is the solid rock. And everything else has disappointed us. Everything else is shaky. But Christ is not. And so we're here. And we're not here just to study theology, brothers. We're actually here to meet with the living God. And we're not just, we're not just here to study a, a book with wise sayings or, or helpful phrases for living or, or um, some strategies for how to do life better. No, we're, we're here because this is the living Word of God that is active in our lives. And we're here because we know that the enemy is not a man. In fact, the enemy, we know, we know the enemy is not a group of men or a group of people. We know, we know who the enemy is. God's word has made that clear. Ephesians chapter 5. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Brothers, let's never forget that. That's why we're here. We're here because the enemy is not a person and it's not people. We're here because we understand that the enemy, that this battle is a spiritual battle, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. And so what do we do? Well, that same passage tells us in Ephesians chapter 5. Battles against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And after, have done, after having done everything, to, to stand. And in the midst of that armor, it says you take up the shield of faith to guard against the enemies flaming arrows not a humans but the enemy and we take up what does it say the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and so we're here brothers to learn how to use the sword to fight the enemy the real enemy 
of this city. And that's why we're here. Some of you are new to Amen. Welcome. <laughs> we are glad you're here. And we want you to know what this is about. Some of you are veterans. I mean, you have medals from battle. <laughs> and I'm glad you're here again for us to do battle, not with the world's weapons, but with the weapons that God has given us to fight the real battle, which is a spiritual battle. And so let's dig in to God's word this morning as we begin this study, an incredible study in 1 Thessalonians let me give you a little introduction. You have some space there in your notes to write an introduction. Uh, write some things, the where, the when, the why of 1 Thessalonians. So let me give you that. And then we'll read those two passages just to give us some context here. When this book was written, uh, most likely, uh, most scholars agree, around 50 or 51 A.D. This is just 20 years after the death and the resurrection and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, it is, other than Galatians, which is the earliest of Paul's writings. This is the next. This is the earliest except for Galatians of Paul's uh, writings. Um, and where? Where is this taking place? Well, we understand both from the book of Acts and from the introduction of Thessalonians that this is Paul and Silas, or Silvanus as it says there in the uh, beginning of Thessalonians. Same guy. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and then also Luke because Luke is writing Acts, so he's traveling with them. These four men have gone from Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and they've gone across uh, the Aegean Sea, and they've landed in what we would consider uh, northern Greece. And they're there at that time called Macedonia. And they go to Philippi, and they plant a church there, and they face a lot of opposition there. So they go through a couple of other towns, and they end up in Thessalonica, which is the capital of Macedonia city of 100,000 people. That doesn't seem big to us now, but in that time, 100,000 people in a city was a huge city, a port city, and again, the capital of Macedonia. And there they are, ready to bring the gospel uh, to these people. Uh, why? Why was this book written? Well, we're going to learn that Paul and uh, his companions were driven out after just probably three or four weeks of being in Thessalonica. They were driven out by opposition. They traveled south uh, to Athens. They end up in Corinth, and they're in Corinth for, uh, Paul's there for about 18 months. And it's while he's in Corinth that he writes this letter to the, to the Thessalonians. He's concerned about them because he's only been with, he was only with them for four weeks. People came to know Christ. They planted a church, but they had only been there for four weeks before opposition had driven them out. And they're just wondering, how's it going? I mean, they were just baby Christians there. What, what's happened? And they start to hear these good reports. And Paul, hearing these good reports, he sits down and he writes this letter and eventually sends it with Timothy back to Thessalonica and says, let them know these things. And that there is the why of this letter. Now, we need to get the backstory. I want us to have the backstory, or as we say today, the prequel. So we're going to get the prequel to what's going on in 1 Thessalonians by looking at Acts chapter 17. So let's read there first, and I'll read one verse in 1 Thessalonians. Acts chapter 17, verse 1. It says, Now when they, when they and this is Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, when they had passed through Amphipolis, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. 
And Paul went in, as was his custom on the three Sabbath day, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. But when they could not find them, they dragged Jason out and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason received them, excuse me, and Jason received, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as a security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Now, let's flip over to 1 Thessalonians. Let me just read that first verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Brothers, there's three things I want us to see here in this prequel to the book of Thessalonians because I want us to understand the background. I want us to know the backstory, and I want us to understand the backstory is all about God's word. And it's a perfect thing for us as we begin this semester and this actually ministry year in, in studying God's word together and thinking about what it means to, to, to raise up the sword of the spirit and to be men in this city. How do we, how do we move forward even after the events of a week like this? And I want us to, to see from Scripture, from God's Word, first of all, in verses 1 through 3 of Acts 17, the necessity of God's Word. Necessity of God's Word. See three things in that. First of all, the mission. There's a mission here that God's Word has called these men to have. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, they're like on the move. They're always on the move. They had planted these churches in Turkey, what, what is today Turkey and Asia Minor back then. They had planted these churches and things were going well. And we read in Acts 16 that God sent a vision and said, an angel saying, a man saying, come over, come over to Macedonia. You need to, to come over here. And so you know what Paul and Timothy and Silas did, Luke did? They said, you know what? Let's go. Let's go over there. We've never been there. We don't know the people there. We don't know what's going to be like there, but let's go. So they go. They go to Philippi, walk in. They don't know anybody, but they go because they're bringing God's word on this mission. Not only that, when they face, they plant a church, they face all kinds of opposition. They end up in jail in Philippi. And then after that, they're like, all right, let's go. And then they they end up in Thessalonica and they go straight to, they don't know anybody, but they're on a mission. They're on the move. They're constantly on the move, bringing the gospel to where it's not known in order that people would know it. And what are they doing? They're just following God's, what God's word has said all along, what Christ said. Christ said right before his ascension, he looked at his disciples in Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and he says, all authority has been given to me, Go. And make disciples of all nations. In Acts 1, uh, verse 8, it says, 
that Christ said, listen, you're going to be my witnesses here in this city in Jerusalem and then in Judea and the surrounding area and to Samaria, your enemies, you're going to go there and to the very ends of the earth. And Paul, when he was converted, and we read about it in Acts chapter 9, and you read verse 15, God says, listen, I have, I have a mission for him. <laughs> and my mission for you, Paul, is that you're going to take the gospel to the Gentiles, which is crazy. Because you remember, Paul is a, is a Jew of Jews. Like He is like the ultimate Jewish leader. He is deep into that culture. He, he didn't even eat with Gentiles. And God says, i got a mission for you, and you need to go. And here they are. They're on the mission. They're going. They're going to hard places. They're going to dangerous places. They're going to places that are unknown. They don't know what's going to happen to them, but they're on this mission. We see that. We see that's what God's men do. After the events of this week, I've heard a couple of these comments. Someone stopped me in the hall here and just said, you know, with all this stuff happening, this is before last night, they said, Todd, I'm just, um, do you think, do you think that, that everybody's just going to want to, you know, flee the city and move out to the county, move out to the suburbs and maybe just leave Memphis? Do you think we're just going to have a big exodus from Memphis? I heard of, a, of, of another uh, young husband who I believe he was saying this to, in protection of his wife and frustration over the feeling of just being afraid. He looked at his wife the other night and he says, pick a place on the map and let's go. We've got to get out of this city. What do God's men do? What do we see God's men do? We see God's men move towards the battle, not away. That's what we see God's men do. Remember that? You've seen that commercial for uh, the Marines, I think it is. And there's that, there's that big <laughs> cloud of looks like a dust storm and smoke and all that. And then you see there's I, I, music playing and you see these men, they're running towards the city where all the, the smoke and the cloud and the storm is. And they're running, running full speed at it. And what's the point? The point is this, that Marines run towards the battle. They don't run away. Every time I look at it, I'm like, that's, that's what God's men do. God's men move towards the danger. They move towards the battle. I have a lot of friends like you do um, who are in other cities that are, you know, some of which are ranked in the top 10 safest places to live in America. <laughs> and they're sending me texts, praying for you in Memphis, da, 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 thinking about you, we're praying for you, and I'm grateful, I'm very grateful. You know what I think Paul would do if he lived in one of those top 10 safest cities in America and he heard all this news about what happened this week in Memphis? I think he would look to his buddies and say, hey, we gotta get to Memphis. I think that's what he would say. Hey, we got to get to Memphis. Let's go. Seems like, seems like they need the gospel. Seems like the battle is there. So let's go. Brothers, this is our city, right? This is our city. 
And God's placed us here. (laughs) And man, if there was ever an awareness of a a need for a mission for God's men in, in this place, we got it this week. We're reminded. I think we've known it all along. But we're reminded. There's a mission for us here. And God's men are on the move toward the battle. The mission that we see in the necessity of God's word, the source, the source of their vision and their wisdom and the power, the source of Paul and Timothy and Silas's vision and wisdom and power clearly is the word of God. You see that in verse 2. When Paul gets into the synagogue, it says it's his custom. He goes to the synagogue three, three Sabbaths in a row, and it says he reasoned with them from the scriptures. He didn't go in there reasoning from his own expertise, his own thoughts, some other book, some other philosophy, just his good ideas that he was getting on. He was, he reasoned from the scriptures. What were Paul's scriptures? Paul's Bible is the Old Testament, right? That's all the Bible he had. He didn't have anything, you know, he had everything up to the end of our Old Testament. He didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Now, he had a witness of that, but nothing written down. He's reasoning from the Scriptures. So what does that mean? It means he's going to places like Genesis 22, and he's saying to them, do you understand that when, when God told Isaac, Abraham to take Isaac and sacrifice him and take him up there to the, to the, to the mountain, and, and then all of a sudden God provided a sacrifice. As Isaac was saying to his dad, hey, where's, where's the lamb, Dad? And Paul's saying, you see, this lamb, you get that? And then he's probably taking him to places like Psalm 2, where it talks about God the Father talking about his son and saying, I'm going to give the nations as an inheritance to my son. Paul says, see, this is, let me keep paying attention to this. Then he takes him to Psalm 110. He says, look at what David's saying here about, about a priest being raised up after the order of Melchizedek. And you remember what that happened in Genesis. And then Paul's going to, to Psalm 22. And he's saying, hey, you see here when it says, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see these words? All right, now I'm going to take you to Isaiah 53, where it talks about the suffering servant. And Paul's reasoning where? Not from his own. He's not trying to just convince them by his own logic. He's reasoning from Scripture. That is the source of all this. And he's doing that, and he's saying, hey, do you see all this? It's Jesus. <laughs> this, this guy that 20 years ago that was crucified, that had, this, that had this, uh, this ministry, and then rose from the dead, this is, this is it. This is Christ. This is what's all through the Old Testament. This is the source for us. And brothers, if scriptures are the source of our vision and our wisdom and our power, then it's awesome that we're here. Praise the Lord. By the way, there's way more people here than I thought. Some of you still need to register. That is awesome. Thank you. In fact, if you didn't register and you're here, if you didn't register and you're here, I'm especially glad you're here. I'm not bummed about you at all. I think this is great. And may God increase our numbers. Not so we can say, oh my goodness, we have 200 men at Amen. No, let's increase our numbers because we need a lot more people picking up the sword for the mission in this city. So that's why we're here. And we're going to know our Bibles because this is the source of vision, wisdom, and power. The message, the message, verse 3. The message, clearly, as Paul says there in verse 3, this Jesus, this guy, he's the Christ. 
He's the Messiah. He's the one we're all talking about. This, this, let me give you the message. The message is this. God, there is a God. He's come to earth to save us from the punishment that we deserve. And, and now we can be free to be reconciled to God. And this is going to transform your heart. I was teaching the inquirers class last, last night. For those of you that don't go to second, that's a, the fancy Presbyterian word for our new members class. And um, on the first night, I always teach uh, through the first two vows, which have to do with the gospel. And I always get to tell the story. I've told you this before. Uh, I get to tell the story of, of uh, my, my, one of my favorite Bible teachers in college, Dr. Krabendam. Uh, Dr. K, the seven-foot Dutchman, you maybe you heard me say this before. He would always say, Dr. K would say in his deep Dutch accent, Oh, we tell the children, we tell the children, give Jesus your heart, little children. Give Jesus your heart. And I say, yes, yes, little children, give Jesus your heart so he can crush it <laughs> and give you a new heart. That's what happens in salvation. You see, broken, a broken city a broken city happens because there's broken people. Evil in a city happens because there's evil in our hearts. Evil in all of our hearts. Until Christ comes, and as it says in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, I will take out your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. See, men, the real problem in this city, the real problem in this city is that they're men and women who still have hearts of stone, unfeeling, hardened. And what they need is a heart of flesh. And you only get that because Jesus himself gives it to you. And you know that because if you have been saved, you understand, you know, that unless Christ had come to take your heart of stone out and give you a heart of flesh, and let Christ had come to do that in Todd Erickson's life, then I would have been a hardened, evil man who would have done evil things. You know, I thought about this the other day as I was talking to Barton Kimbrough. There's not as much of a gap as we'd like to think between viewing, choosing to view pornography of trafficked women. There's not a mu as much of a gap as we'd like to think between that and grabbing a woman off the streets. We need the Lord to transform our hearts. We need him to give us a new heart. This is the message that's needed for Memphis. This is the solution for Memphis is changing hearts. I know we'd like to think that if there were a lot more police on the street and we were tougher on crime, that what happened on last Friday and what happened last night wouldn't happen. But you do understand that it doesn't matter what city you're in or how many police there are, that if someone goes on what amounts to a suicide mission because there was no chance that either men were going to get away. There's too many cameras and there's too much police. But if you go on that mission with no attempt truly to get away and no, no thought of even 
of even trying to get away, but you're just going to do it. You understand there's no way to stop that unless there's literally a policeman on every corner. And even then, even then, what's really needed, what we really need is a true revival in the city of Memphis. We need God's Holy Spirit to come in such magnificent power that it sweeps through our neighborhoods and it sweeps through beginning with our churches, our own churches, and changes hearts. This is what needs to happen. The message of this word needs to change hearts. When that happens, when that happens, then we're going to see this city change. Necessity of God's word. Secondly, the power, the power of God's word. I knew this was going to happen, but I have a backup. Um, my notes just erased themselves, but I was clever enough. <laughs> I was clever enough to take a picture of my notes so that this wouldn't happen. The power of God's word. What's that? <laughs> it was clever, except now I'm going in the, I'm looking, I'm seeing that the, uh, that the, uh, that my pictures are erased too. Somebody hand me a blank sheet. <laughs> I'm going to go for a memory here. All right. Expect transformation. Expect transformation. Notice in verses, verse 4. Notice in verse 4 that it says, And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So this is what happened. He's there for three weeks, and some Jews, there's some Jews that decide, okay, this is the message, and they believe. They believe the gospel. But a great many Greeks do. A lot of Greeks do. Okay, so you have a few Jews, a whole lot of Greeks, and then it says some leading women or some country club women, influential women. You know? And this is the church that's formed. Let's not lose sight of the fact that that's a weird collection of people. That was, that was, a, that was a, 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 a countercultural group. Those people didn't hang out together. And yet the gospel brought those people together and made them a church that we find out eventually is, is successful. It's a successful church. God uses that. And you look at that and go, wow, how could that happen? How could that ever? Unless, of course, you and I, we know it, don't we? We know. We know it happened. Because we know this is what God does. <laughs> God takes people that shouldn't even be together, makes them brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have a deep love for each other, and we grow together, and we're committed. To, we become family. You've heard me say this so many times. My brother, outside of my wife, my brother is my best friend. I only have one sibling. My brother is my best friend outside of my wife. I feel very close to him. Obviously, we're brothers. We're, we, have, we share the same blood. But if my brother were not a believer... If my own blood brother were not a believer, then I could say with confidence, even if I might be sad about it, I have a, I have a closer connection to my brother Sam here, to my brother Russ here, than I would have to my own blood brother. How can you say that, Todd? Because the blood of Christ is more powerful and brings more intimacy than even the blood of family. And what's happened here 
When God's word goes out, it goes out in power. It goes out in power. And it accomplishes what it intends to accomplish. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. We know the beginning of this, that God's word does not return void. Listen to the whole thing. Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that it goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. This is God speaking. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. When God's word goes out, it goes out with power. That's, that's the very thing that, that, that people need. In fact, this week, there were several, some pastors, some leaders uh, in the city who uh, came to me. Three of them came to me and said, Todd, in different times, and said, Todd, I'm about to speak to this group of people. How do I comfort them? I just want to comfort them. I just want to bring comfort to them. And I said the same, th- same thing to all three, three men. Well, first of all, I said, let's get things something straight here. You and I are completely incapable of comforting them. You and I have literally nothing to offer in ourselves to come. We don't have wisdom enough. We don't have, we, you, brother, cannot comfort. So let's go ahead and move that job off the table. I said, only God can comfort. And all we have to offer is God's word and prayer. That's it. So don't, don't nutty yourself up by getting all like, what, I, I need to say this, do this. I'm like, it's, in this situation, all we, in any situation, all we have is God's word and God's prayer. Why do I, at the same time, there's an expectation. And I had it and we saw it. We've seen it. God's word is on the move in this city, brothers. It is. I've sat in a lot of places in the last six days where I have seen God's word do its work in hearts. And all that was, all that was spoken, all that was read was God's word. All that was prayed was God's word. And it's, and it's working. And I'm telling you, we got to expect that. Expect it. Because it's, it, we have evidence over and over and over and over again that this is what happens when God's word goes out. We see it in scriptures. We can, we can study history. You know it in your life. This is, this is what happens. I can't tell you how many, how many people I've tried to share the gospel with. And, to, and then I find out that they decided to go to a Bible study or they decided to, well, maybe I should just read something in the Bible. And then they come tell me that they've come to know Christ. <laughs> And I'm like, of course you, yeah, that, yes, that would make sense. Because God's word does not return void, but it always accomplishes that which, which it is sent to do. And we need to have that expectation. That's the expectation Paul and Timothy and Silas had. Hey, this is, it's going to work, so we're going to use this. <laughs> and I'm telling you, brothers, in this city, it's going to work, so use that. Bring the word in every situation. Bring it in every situation. You know some men like this. Maybe there's some men like this in this room. My dad is a guy like this. I had a grandmother who was a woman like this. I felt like whatever I was asking, they, were st- they started the answer with a Bible verse. I felt like, I mean, sometimes I'm like, 
Dad, I've lost my keys. Can you help me find? And my, and seriously, my dad, I remember he's like, well, you know, have you prayed about it? You know, God's word tells us that I'm like, just help me find my keys, dad, you know? <laughs> but it's, it was God's word. You've heard me share this story. My, my wife's, uh, my, my, my mother-in-law, um, Lynn's mom, uh, has been struggling with Alzheimer's since 2013. And I remember when we realized something was up. Because we were on a beach vacation with all the family and she was just talking in front of all of us, talking about how she prayed for each one of the, her grandkids. She was just talking about it. And then something happened because we all saw it. Is all of a sudden like we weren't in the room and she was actually just looking at us but speaking God's word through prayers for her grandchildren. And we could tell she didn't know what she was doing. She was out of her mind. First of all, it was absolutely beautiful. I thought, what an amazing thing that, that when this woman loses her mind, what comes out is God's word. <laughs> Later on that night, I was a little bit worried because I'm thinking, um, Todd, when you lose your mind, is that what's going to come out of your mouth? <laughs> I want that to be what comes out of my mouth. Always give God's word and expect transformation because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I promise. God promises. <laughs> I promise because I'm resting on God's promises. And then also expect opposition. Expect opposition. You see there in verses 5 through 9, it wasn't like, oh, and then they had this church and everything was great and people were happy and people thought, oh, we just love that these country club women have come to know Christ. Let's go hang out with them. It's going to be so much fun. Oh, look at these Greeks and Jews together. What a great, this is awesome. We just want to be around them. We just have so much respect for them. That's not what happened. What almost always happened was what we see there, jealousy, false accusations, trying to put them in prison, trying to get them discredited. It isn't interesting, in trying to get them discredited, they gave them a compliment that Paul must have loved. <laughs> it's my favorite part in, verse, in chapter 17. Verse 6, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. I read that when I was first working through the study of 1 Thessalonians back in July on my study leave. And I thought, gosh, Lord, I prayed this. I prayed this that week several times. Lord, would, would you make it possible? Would you glorify yourself someday, someday by making people say that about the men of amen in Memphis? <laughs> would someday people in Memphis say, these men have turned the world upside down and they're, now they're here too. What a great compliment. Now, they didn't mean it as a compliment. It was opposition. And there's always going to be opposition to God's word because Romans chapter 1 makes it clear that everyone knows the truth about God. Everyone who's created in, everyone's created in his image and they have in them, hardwired in them, an understanding that there is a God. Not just, not just you know, the sun God or what, that there is a creator God, and it says that they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so, and Paul also wrote, and he said, listen, you're the ambassador of Christ. You're the aroma of Christ. Wherever you go, you're the aroma of Christ. And to some, to some, you smell amazing. 
To some, that aroma is fantastic. And then it says, to some, that aroma smells like death. And so you face persecution. And Jesus said it in John chapter 15. He said, the world is going to hate you. But keep in mind, he says, it hated me first. (laughs) And he said, that's why the world hates you. Because the world hates me. And you represent me. And so you're going to face opposition. But we see over and over again, like it says also in Corinthians, but we have this treasure in jars of clay that this all-surpassing power is seen as being from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not not destroyed. We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus that the life of Jesus may be revealed in you. And Paul's like, great, let's go. I'm facing opposition. We must be doing something right. (laughs) You know why? Because the enemy hates the church. The enemy hates God's word going out. The enemy hates you. The enemy hates actually all humans. Because all are created in the image of God. All have that stamp. And so Satan wants to turn every human into an animal because he hates them. But the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. You realize that means the church is on the move. We're not, it's not our gates that Satan's coming after. (laughs) It's Satan's gates that we're going after. We're the ones on the move. Expect opposition. Then finally, Sam, thank you. You can have your notes back. (laughs) And finally, looking at 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 1. And we often often overlook, you know, the greeting stuff. Sometimes the very end of of an epistle, we have a tendency to... To, uh, you know, oh yeah, the greetings, da da da, and we look past that. Or at the very beginning of an epistle, um, like this, you know, you read past verse one, like nobody's memorizing verse one as like their, you know, year verse, right? Uh, you're just like, okay, yeah, yeah, Paul, Timothy, Silas, Church of Christ, Thessalonians, God the Father, Christ, great to be to you. Okay, let's get to the meat. But before we dive in next week, I don't want us to miss, because it's intentional, Paul is inten- doing this intentionally, grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. He says that on purpose. And this is the application of God's word in our lives. Grace to you. You know that the Bible teaches that there are three main means of grace. Three way God dispenses his grace. Now God is God. He could dispense grace through whatever he wants. God could dispense grace through talking trees if he wanted to. He could, talk, he could dispense it through clouds. Uh, you know, through... Uh, uh, your name written in clouds, whatever. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. But our Bibles tell us that the normal way he dispenses grace, the normal way he dispenses grace is through his word, through prayer, and through worship. That's the normal way to get grace. And we all want grace. And we want the city to have grace. And you need grace. And I need grace. So what we understand is when we have God's word, when we read God's word, when we study God's word, we are, we are going to experience the grace of God. It's going to be, uh, we're going we're gonna to grow in it. We're going to, uh, we're gonna uh, understand it better. What, the grace that's been to applied to our lives is going to start to come alive. We're going we're gonna to really grasp it. 
There's so many men I talk to, even this week, who are in such despair, and I can tell right away they just have not turned to the Word of God. They haven't been in church in, a, in months, if not years. And they haven't opened their Bibles, and they're saying, gosh, what do I do, and why is God doing this? And I hurt for them, because I'm like, oh, brother, let's go to God's Word. you got to... Ooh, we got a lot of catching up to do. Why do I do that? I just want them to have grace. And this is a means of grace. This is a way in which we receive the grace of God. Something we desperately need. We need to be reminded again and again and again and again and again that there is not, nothing in our own merit that would ever that would ever get us right with God. But that's okay because God in his grace through Christ on the cross has made a way that you are right now dearly loved sons of God. And nothing can change that. Nothing. And we need to hear that over and over again. And then the peace of God. The peace of God. And again, (laughs) oh, we need that. We need the peace of God. Man, if you're going to live in this world, if you're going to particularly be God's man on a mission, we've got to have steady hearts, don't we? We don't get steady hearts by ourselves. But see, when we study God's word, the, and then the application of God's word becomes that we understand the sovereignty of God, that he was not surprised by the events of this week, that he is in control, that he is on his throne. We don't understand what he's doing because God doesn't tell us everything. He doesn't show us everything that he's doing. There are some things that, are, that remain a mystery to us, but he is still on his throne. He's still doing his work. He is not surprised by anything. We understand that from his word, that God is sovereign. We also understand that God comes through his Holy Spirit. And as it says in Philippians, that he gives you a peace that passes all comprehension. And it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I have known people personally and certainly read, like some of you have, of people who have gone through horrendous things in different places in the world and even in this country. Horrendous torture, horrendous moments that we look at and go, how in the world did you even keep it together? How did you not disintegrate? How are you standing here talking to me? And Everyone who's a believer, everyone says, in that moment, Christ was with me. In that moment, God gave me all the strength I needed. In that moment, God's provision was there. In that moment, and you just hear testimony, test after testimony, that the peace that passes all understanding was applied to the very moment of the greatest, most horrific things for a believer to experience. And Christ himself guarded their hearts and their minds because the application of God's word, so many, so many, we've read about it. All of a sudden, almost miraculously being able to recall scripture they read. I remember reading about those Christians in, in 
uh, POW camps in, in, in Vietnam, being able to piece together the entire Gospel of John by different men remembering different parts. God's Word bringing peace to their trauma. And that's what it is for us, brothers. Grace and peace that we can have and that we can give to others. Our hope, our hope for our families, our hope for this city is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. And all other ground is sinking sand. Brothers, this is our city. This is our mission. We have his word. Let's go. Let's go. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the beauty and the truth of your word. Lord, as you have promised, would you make sure that this word doesn't return void in our own hearts and our own minds, but would accomplish the very work in which you want it to do. Father, whatever it is that I have said that might be a distraction from the work that you want to do in all of our hearts and minds, would you take that away? And would you leave only the living Word of God working its power through the Holy Spirit to transform hearts? And Father, we do pray again for this city. And we pray that you would bring revival, that you bring repentance, that you bring reformation, that you bring healing, and that you would, you would bring all that, beginning with us as men in your church. Transform us. Make us bold. Make us courageous. Cause us to understand how to be gentle in places where that is needed. Let us be bold and courageous where there are places of fear. Father, Give us strength and endurance when we feel overwhelmed and weak. And fill us with your word. Lord, may we study it, memorize it, meditate on it. May we be men of the word, men on a mission, clear with the message of Christ. And Father, may all this cause you to get great glory. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen.